Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about faith, family, freedom, the state of Illinois, our nation, and conservative action. Here's David Smith and Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. I'm Monty Larrick. The March for Life Chicago is this coming Saturday, January 11th. This year's event features a convention at the Congress Plaza Hotel on South Michigan Avenue and a rally at Daly Plaza on West Washington Street in downtown Chicago. The rally will be followed by a march through downtown Chicago streets. This year's rally will be led by Eric Scheidler, the executive director of the Chicago-based Pro-Life Action League. Eric, I recently spoke with a political reporter who questioned the value of any pro-life event in Illinois, pointing out that our lawmakers in Springfield have made Illinois the most pro-abortion state in the nation. What's your response to that? Why rally? Why march? Well, first of all, the people of Illinois are not as radical on the issue of abortion as our legislature is. We have to understand that. The legislation that was passed in the June, signed into law in June of 2019, is some of the most radical pro-abortion legislation in the country. Illinois is arguably now the abortion capital of the United States. But the provisions of that law, I mean, starting with the stripping away of any recognition of the rights of the unborn child whatsoever, it's so far out of step with the way most Illinois voters and families think about life, think about their own unborn children, the pictures that they put up on the refrigerator, the ultrasound results. You know, when a mom feels that baby kick in her stomach, she doesn't think this is not a human being. This is somebody without any value or rights or any sort of humanity that we should recognize. Most Illinoisans are are not uh, in favor of taxpayer funding of abortion. Most uh, Illinois voters are not in favor of um, denying parents any knowledge of a minor daughter getting an abortion. Most Illinois voters are not uh, in favor of forcing medical practitioners to be involved with abortion if their conscience tells them not to be. So this legislation and the legislators that pushed it are far more radical than most Illinois voters. And an event like the March for Life reminds them of that. It calls to their attention the fact that this state has become the abortion capital of the United States. It calls to their attention the fact that their legislators are passing legislation with which they strongly disagree. Uh, they've done so because of the lobbies, because of the money that comes in, personal PAC, Planned Parenthood, NARAL, ACLU, and all that pressure, but not because of the will of the voters. And so a, a public event like this reminds the voters of how radical the state is. It sh- exposes that radicalism in a way that I think can have electoral impact. Uh, and it also lets them know that they're not alone. The pro-lifers who are out there who feel maybe I'm by myself in this, no one in my workplace or my my, my neighborhood, or God forbid, my church is on the same page as me on the sanctity of life, a march like this demonstrates that they're not alone. It invites them to become part of the pro-life movement in Illinois. So it's an extremely important type of event for all of those reasons. Well, Eric, the uh, March for Life moves from Sunday to Saturday this year and from the Federal Plaza to Daly Plaza. Why the change? Well, there were some logistic issues having to do with Federal Plaza, certain regulations about uh, the kinds of equipment that we can bring in, that sort of thing. That was part of our, our motivation. But another is that 
The Daily Plaza really stands out so much more as an Illinois institution. You know, that uh, ubiquitous um, you know, image of the Picasso statue, the sculpture that's there uh, in, in Daly Plaza. It's named after one of the most important mayors of the city of Chicago, Mayor Richard J. Daly, uh, who was mayor when I was a kid and when you were a kid. And, um, you know, Federal Plaza, it, it just doesn't have that same feeling of being the center of downtown Chicago. Uh, and in some ways, the center of the state. And the state of Illinois building is right next door as well. So there's that connection. Uh, it allows us to have a little more freedom in what we're doing. It speaks more to the populism of this event. Uh, and then it gives us a good platform for our march through the streets of Chicago. Can it accommodate more people? Daily Plaza, yes, it is bigger. They're both pretty big. We've, we've held rallies in both locations over the years and also at the state of Illinois building. So uh, of, the, of the three, Daily Plaza, I think, uh, accommodates the largest crowds. And not just the largest crowds, but also there's more visibility. It's a more open kind of a space. And so in many ways, sort of more fitting for this type of public expression. And there's a convention this year for the March for Life. Tell us about that. Well, it's an effort to bring the March for Life Chicago into the same spirit and you know, productiveness as the March for Life in Washington, D.C. that's been going on since 1974. Um, the convention is an opportunity for visitors from out of state to, uh, to learn more about the Illinois pro-life movement, for visitors from around the state, from inside the state, to get connected to pro-life groups, both locally and, and nationally. Uh, an opportunity for more fellowship, and there's going to be some uh, events connected with that that provide, you know, yet more opportunity for us to get to know each other a little better, and we need that as a community. You know, I've been to several March for Life rallies here in Chicago. They're always uplifting and encouraging, despite what may be going on in Washington or Springfield. They are, and, and I think it's, uh, that's one of the reasons we need these kinds of things, because it can be so discouraging. And I understand the criticisms. You know, as somebody who works day-to-day -day in the pro-life movement, it's frustrating to see the large numbers that come out for bigger events, and then the, the difficulty that we have getting folks to come out to a smaller protest of, a let's say, a Planned Parenthood fundraiser, or to show up and be present at the abortion facilities all throughout the year. Uh, but at the same time, when someone goes to one of these marches and gets fired up, sees that there's so many other people who agree with them about the value of the life of the unborn child, of the sanctity of life in the womb, that can be a stepping stone to getting involved more regularly throughout the year. So, you know, we expect to see larger numbers. Um, many people will only come to a march like this, and we're glad to have them there. But then there are those who will be inspired to do a little more, and then a little more, and a little more. So we build our movement through events like these. And, uh, and I think that's one of their most important values, in drawing people into a more active presence in the pro-life movement. I think you've told me in the past that the 40 Days for Life prayer campaign to end abortion is a good first step toward pro-life activism. Would you consider getting involved with the March for Life, maybe taking that second step or a bigger step? I don't know if, if I want to kind of measure the, the size of steps too precisely. For some people, they're going to hear about this March for Life on, on, uh, you know, on the radio or run into it on Facebook or something and decide to come out to it, and it may be the first thing they've ever done. For others, it's something a little more than you know, the, the, the shorter, more local hour of prayer that they might have spent during, during a 40 Days for Life campaign. So it depends on the individual. For some, going out to a big march is going to be easier and, and a first step. For others, it's going to be a second step because they've got their feet wet through 40 Days for Life or some other type of a, a program like that. Another I'd like to point to is the National Day of Remembrance for Aborted Children we hold every year. 
where we go to the burial places of these children. For many people, that is their first step because they're going to a private cemetery. It's not in the, in the public square. There aren't any counter-protesters or anything like that. So, you know, whatever we can do, the, the, the salient point here, the, the key point, is that as a movement, we really need to find ways to draw people in to activism, into doing something out in the public square in some way. And, and that's a, a very valuable purpose for the March for Life Chicago, for the March for Life in Washington, the Walk for Life in San Francisco, and all the smaller events like this that take place all throughout the month of January. It's, it's our effort to do outreach to those who are sympathetic but who aren't involved yet. You mentioned counter-protesters, and there are always maybe a dozen or so, maybe two dozen, at uh, the March for Life. Yet it seems like the media gives them equal treatment as far as coverage, when there might be upwards of five, six, seven, eight thousand people standing in defense of life. I wouldn't be surprised to see us top five figures this year. I mean, the march has grown and grown and grown every single year, um, to the point where it's getting really hard to even figure out how to count how many people are there. You know, so the, we we outnumber the opposition that turns out um, by a factor of fifty or a hundred to one. You know, truly, um, that's not an exaggeration, and it and it's. It's disappointing that the media give that kind of equal coverage, but we understand it. You know, th- there are two sides there, and if they're going to present, you know, if they were really to try to show the two sides and they gave 30 seconds to us, they'd have to give three-fourths of a second <laughs> the other side, which is sort of impractical. There's no way for their coverage not to be lopsided in appearance if they're going to be covering the other side, as, as they should, because sometimes that other side is us. Sometimes they have a big rally. They have a big event, and we're the ones protesting, and we've got a half a you know a dozen people or a dozen and a half people out there. So we understand that that's how the media works. The other side knows that too. And we're all kind of playing this game together. The important point, though, is that we do get that coverage, and we are getting it. The media does cover the March for Life Chicago. They cover the March for Life in D.C. Despite the fact that every year many in the pro-life community complain about a lack of coverage, if you really step back and look at it objectively. And if you talk to people who are involved constantly, as, as you and I both are, in trying to earn media coverage, uh, you can see that any coverage that we get is, is a victory. You earn it. I mean, that's why we call it earned media. We're not buying it. We're not paying for it. We could get on the front page with a million dollars, but we don't have that. So we go out and we earn the media through what we do. And I think our message comes through. And I think that the viewers at home recognize that. Viewers have become more and more skeptical of the media. They're learning to read through that media bias. They watch with a filter. We all do. You know, I listen to all kinds of, you know, national public radio and and other more left-leaning sources with a filter on, and I get my news that way. So our message is getting through. And it's not just the media who are covering this. People see something on television or in the newspaper, maybe the Chicago Tribune, but they also see those pictures on their Facebook feed. So they know what's really happening. And, And it reinforces the fact that they need to be more critical of what the media tells them about things, not just this issue, but any issue. So I think the truth about the march gets out. And the truth about the March for Life seems to be getting out to young people. Every year it seems like more and more young people are coming to the March for Life. Why is that? Uh, what's happening? Well, I think a lot of credit goes directly to the groups that are involved. I mean, we've seen the growth of Students for Life. We've seen, uh, you know, We Dignify, you know, taking a leadership role in this convention uh, that's taking place with this March for Life, you know, which is the Illinois-based, you know, college pro-life organization. 
We've seen Chicago Pro-Life Future, an outgrowth of Students for Life getting more active. But especially we've seen this group called the Crusaders. They've become nationally famous now. They started, you know, in the Chicago area, centered around St. John Cantius Parish. It's a group of, of high, mostly high school age, some college age kids. They have those famous um, yellow life balloons that I'm sure viewers will recognize from news reports and pictures they've seen on Facebook. They come with all the balloons and they come with the yellow sweatshirts and they have the chanting and the and the drums and, and it's it's such a dramatic display of boldness and of courage um, and they've played a huge role. I'm very proud to say that the president of the Crusaders now is is my niece, Hope Miller. Um, she is somebody who's worked with the Pro Life Action League. She was uh, on the staff for our Face the Truth tour in 2019. And she's just a perfect example of that enthusiasm. She knows her stuff. She studies the issue. She can talk to anybody about it. Uh, she's an example of the kind of enthusiasm, uh, excitement, intelligence, self-informing that so many uh, young people are doing on this issue. Well, Eric, uh, the rally is going to feature not only yourself, but some other important speakers. I'm really excited to be uh, Master of Ceremonies for, for the March for Life Chicago this year. Uh, but to be the Master of Ceremonies, it's a tremendous honor. You know, I'm gratified to be up there with people like Don Fitzpatrick from the, the Diocese of Chicago. Uh, Cardinal Supich will be there offering some remarks uh, as well. Uh, he's always coming out to, to those events. Oh, Pat McCaskey from the Chicago Bears is going to be there. He has time on his hands now. Yeah. Well, that, you know, that's true. Um, you know, and that, but that shows, that shows, you know, the kind of, you know, bread and butter um, reality of pro-life in, in Chicago, that, you know, this is a very, this is a very Chicago movement. You know, pro-life activism has been centered on Chicago for, for decades, thanks to the work of, you know, my father, Joe Scheidler, and kind of making Chicago a hub for activism. And, uh, you know, no matter how left-leaning the state may become because of the politics of Chicago, you know, there's a lot of really strong pro-life fervor in, in the city. And there's a young woman named Claire Colwell, who is an abortion survivor, uh, was slated to be aborted, survived that abortion. It was a late-term abortion, you know, where the, the abortion wasn't completed. and She survived. She's going to be coming and telling her story. Um, nothing's going to make you an abortion opponent like almost being aborted. And she, was, she survived. So uh, I'm really excited to hear what she has to say. How can people get involved? in the March for Life convention, rally, and march. Well, just go to your computer, type in March for Life Chicago, and you'll get a host of results. If you're on Facebook, you can find uh, information out about the march very easily. There's a rally at 1 o'clock, and then we, after the speakers, we, we march through the streets of Chicago and, and then conclude for those who want to go to the convention, and that's their, their uh, opportunity there at the end of the march to, to go a little deeper and to, to look at the different displays and maybe stick around for the banquet. All right. Thank you, Eric Scheidler. Eric and I will uh, be back in part two of this edition of Illinois Family Spotlight. We're going to be discussing uh, what will be happening in the legislature, including a possible effort to repeal Illinois' parental notice of abortion law. Our choices have consequences. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with The Point. About a decade ago, well-educated women were told that freezing their eggs would not only allow them to postpone childbearing, it would even empower them. As the cover of Bloomberg Magazine put it, freeze your eggs, free your career. Whether it helped careers or not, we now know that the $15,000 plus empowerment often didn't lead to children. According to the New York Times, only 10 to 15% of these women return to thaw their eggs and make babies. And imagine their disappointment when the thawed eggs 
failed to produce babies, especially given how many of these women were past the age of fertility. Their only remaining choice, give up on having kids or turn to additional fertility therapies and pay even more money. Surprisingly, the vast majority of women who froze their eggs said they'd recommend it to others because, you know, freedom and career and such. Well, they got at least the main thing they were aiming at, personal autonomy. But they didn't get the other thing that many hoped for, a baby. For more on faith and culture, come to breakpoint.org. I'm John Stone Street. Thanks for joining Illinois Family Spotlight. Monty Larrick here with me, Eric Scheidler, the executive director of the Pro-Life Action League. Eric, why should people who are listening support the work of your organization? Well, the Pro-Life Action League is all about putting regular people to work on behalf of unborn children. We are a direct action group. We get involved in things like politics and legislation and, and so forth, but we're much more focused on direct outreach to the public. So we do demonstrations in the public square. We go out to the abortion facilities to offer help, to do outreach, so we specialize in sidewalk counseling and prayer witness at abortion facilities. We protest Planned Parenthood, expose to the public what Planned Parenthood is really all about. They're the nation's largest abortion provider. They do 39% of the abortions in the United States, and they try to pretend that abortion is really very small part of what they do. It's actually what they're all about. So we expose those truths. That's what the Pro-Life Action League is about, and we've been doing this for almost 40 years now. It's, it's 2020. We're going to be celebrating our 40th anniversary on June 1st of this year. That's 40 years of getting people mobilized locally. That's 40 years of shutting down abortion mills. That's 40 years of holding politicians accountable. That's 40 years of educating the public about the reality of abortion. And that's 40 years of celebrating the birthdays of children whose lives were saved from abortion because someone was there at the abortion center when they were supposed to be killed. If people would like more information about the Pro-Life Action League, they can go to what? Go to prolifeaction.org or go to Facebook and type in Pro-Life Action. We're at Pro-Life Action. That's our sort of handle on uh, Twitter and uh, on Facebook and other social media. And you can find us at our website, prolifeaction.org. Sign up for emails, especially if you live in, this, in the, the Chicago area. We're very active in Chicago. We have a protest coming up later this month um, of a annual Roe versus Wade gala that uh, Planned Parenthood holds every year. Uh, we hold these kinds of, uh, you know, we protest Planned Parenthood when they hold these events, and we have other activities um, reaching out to the public at uh, abortion facilities and in the public square all throughout Illinois uh, all during the year. So many opportunities for people to get involved at prolifeaction.org. And once again, Eric will be the MC at the big uh, March for Life rally in Chicago coming this Saturday afternoon at the Daily Plaza in downtown Chicago. And Eric, this year's march perhaps could not come at a more important time with lawmakers returning to Springfield and Washington. We know that uh, pro-abortion state lawmakers want to repeal parental notice of abortion, the law that was put into place several years ago. How can we stop that from happening? The only way is making it crystal clear to the legislators that the people of Illinois are adamantly opposed to this. They're going to trot out all kinds of horror stories. Uh, many of them unattributed. We don't even know what state. We don't know the circumstances. I've been to their website and looked at the little stories that they're telling. If, if you know, for those of us who know to expect 
disassembling and misinformation from the other side, it's easy to see the flaws. Those stories are going to have an emotional impact, though. You know, the, the young woman who had to go before a judge and was so scared because she wanted to get an abortion and, you know, her, her uncle had abused her, whatever the story is. They're going to trot out all kinds of horror stories, many of them fabricated, many of them from decades ago, many of them that don't apply to the state of Illinois and the judicial bypass that we have in place in the state or any of that. We have to be prepared to tell our own stories. My belief is we need to appeal to fathers. We need to appeal to those great dads out there who do care about their kids. That's most of us. You know, most of us fathers care deeply about our children. We want the best for them. We want to be involved in their lives. We don't want them going off and getting sexually involved at a young age and then being drawn, pulled off into an abortion clinic by perhaps some much older man who got them pregnant. We know that, that many of the women, the young women, we should call them girls, who are getting abortions at, at those young ages. We know that they are being sexually abused, seduced, lured by much, much older men. For many of them, it's an absence of a father figure in their life that has got them into this predicament in the first place. So we need to appeal to fathers to recognize your own fatherly instinct and, and, and care about those other kids out there um, so that you know, the, the opportunity for parents to be involved in their kids. We know that when there's laws like this in place, that abortions drop dramatically. Abortions on minor girls in the state of Illinois have dropped dramatically. We're talking like a 50% drop, been cut in half since this law passed in 1995, but not implemented until 2013. Took so many years of court battling, you know, almost 20 years of court battles to get that law actually enforced, and it cut minors' abortions in half. Why? Because kids don't think clearly when they get into that predicament. They think, my parents are going to kill me, they're going to throw me out of the house, which, by the way, is illegal. You can't kick your minor child out of your house for being pregnant or for anything. You have to care for them. That's your, your legal responsibility as a parent, as well as your moral and ethical responsibility. They get these ideas in their heads. They think it's going to be the biggest tragedy in the world, but their parents who've been around longer, who themselves may have even faced a situation like this, they're able to step in and say, you know what? We're disappointed. We wish this hadn't happened but we're going to all work together and make this work. We're going to make a solution here. That's why the abortions drop, because kids have those conversations. Now, Planned Parenthood likes to pretend that every 15-year-old girl is fully mature, fully capable of having those conversations and will have them. And if she's afraid to, she's got a really good reason. You know, have you ever met a 15-year-old? They have all kinds of silly ideas about what their parents are going to do or say, how they're going to react, what's important, what's not important. We, we know this. We all know this. So we have to appeal to the common sense of Illinois parents, fathers, mothers too. We need to appeal to the common sense of Illinois parents that children make very poor decisions. Their brains are not fully formed at this point. We all know this. Their decision-making capacity is not really there yet. They need us as parents. So we appeal to the, to the mothers and fathers out there. We appeal to common sense, and I think we will prevail. You're the father of eight kids. So this law means something to you. In fact, I was a party to one of the lawsuits that was trying to force the, the legislature to finally, or, or the courts, or however you want to look at it. It's a complicated fight, fight to get this law put, you know, finally enacted. Um, but I was a party because of the fact that I, I have eight children and I have six daughters. So, you know, right now my, my youngest daughter is 12, just starting to move into the, you know, to that world. Um, where these issues become something they're thinking about. And then I've got daughters in their 20s who, you know, who are already seeing their, their friends and, and uh, you know, colleagues in school and, and, and in the community make bad decisions and you know, walk down dark paths and, and do really foolish things. So um, 
you know, it's something that uh, my wife and I care very passionately about because we've we've seen um, so many of, of our own kids encounter this this the sort of darker side of, of not having that parental involvement or not having those values. So when listeners call their lawmakers about this, what should they tell them? And let's say their lawmaker voted for the big pro-abortion bill. Is there any way that they can get through to these lawmakers that we absolutely have to have parental notice? You've got to just appeal to them as a parent. Say, I as a parent appeal to you. Many of our lawmakers are parents. Think about your own kids. Think about some of the dumb decisions that they've made. Do you really, are you really convinced that every 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old is going to come to you and have this conversation? because they don't come and talk to you about this, that, and the other. You know that kids kind of keep things to themselves, no matter how much you try to keep those channels up. And so appeal to the legislators on that same level, as parents, as people who appreciate common sense. We can also remind them of things like the kinds of protections we put in place for our kids. You know, a girl can't go and get her ear pierced until she's 18 years old without parental approval. You can't give a kid a Tylenol or an Advil at school without parental permission. Parents have a responsibility for their kids, and the state can't take that away. I mean, it's a, it's a horrible usurping of parental power and authority and, and responsibility above all. You know, t- taking away from, from parents the ability to exercise a responsibility that is theirs. And I, that's the appeal we've got to make to our legislators. And we've also got to make them understand how many of us there are. I mean, the vast majority of the public, you know, in the area of 70, 80 percent, support these kind of parental involvement laws. So they're going to obfuscate. They're going to pretend that, you know, that those conversations are already happening. They're going to pretend that there's all these horror stories. My challenge will be to my legislator, Barbara Hernandez here in Aurora, who did vote for the omnibus bill despite my wife and I visiting with her, despite the fact that she walked through the doors. She told us a story. She walked through the doors of Planned Parenthood, and she, she put her hand on her belly as she told, told this story and said, I just felt weird. I just felt a strange presence in there. Really? And yet you did exactly what they told you to do. These people who's you go into their building and you feel weird, and yet you do what they say. Well, we're going to appeal to her again, and we're going to say, look, show me the example of somebody who's actually been harmed by the law we have in place right now. Show me someone who couldn't get a judicial bypass and was forced to have a baby. I don't think of that as a bad thing to have a baby, a baby to be born into the world. You know, prove it. Instead of these vague sob stories that you've partially made up or that you've pulled from another state or from decades ago, where's the person since 2013, when this law was implemented, where's the example of somebody who wasn't able to go to before a judge or who told their parents because of the law and got some sort of bad result. Prove it. They can't because they don't have any examples. They don't have any evidence. So they're going to rely on vague, you know, stories without attribution, and they're not going to show us any actual examples of this law causing any kind of problems. But pro-life folks absolutely have to make that call to their lawmaker. I, th- you, I think you've got to go farther than making a call for this one. This is so important. We're, we're talking about, I mean, we can speculate how many more abortions there are in Illinois because of the taxpayer funding that we have, thanks to Governor Rauner signing that HB 40 bill a couple years ago and losing his governorship because of it. I mean, direct result. We, had, we rejected him for that. We, we can speculate about the number of lives that that signature on that bill cost. But we have the data, the hard data, to show a halving of abortions under the parental notice law. We're talking about thousands of lies. You've got to go farther than just picking up the phone. 
or writing an email on this one. You've got to make a visit to your legislator if it's at all possible. Visit them locally. They will visit with you. You can sit with them for 15, 20 minutes, and half an hour and talk to them about this. Go to your legislature, legislator with pictures of your children. You know, even if they're grown children, you can talk about what they were like when they were teens, some of the hijinks they got into. Maybe you have a grandchild who was born to your child when they were a teen. Bring a picture of that grandkid in with you. You know, bring pictures of your grandchildren in who are teenagers, your own kids who are teenagers. Make it very, very personal. Ask them to see pictures of their kids. It's probably on their desk. Politicians love to have pictures of their kids on their desks to seem like regular people. Ask them about their kids and the kind of choices that they've made. Make it very personal and make it very direct. Go to the district office. If you can make it down to Springfield, visit them there too. But those district meetings in the community, start off with some uh, you know, chummy kind of conversation about the community, maybe some of uh, you know, your favorite pizza place or whatever, and then get into these issues. And again, make it personal. Show those pictures. Ask them those questions about their own family. Would you want your 14-year-old daughter to have an abortion without your knowledge? She comes home from school in tears. She's been keeping to herself. You don't know why something seems to be wrong. She starts hemorrhaging, and she's not telling you about it. I mean, we've, we really do have some horrible stories we can tell of kids who went through abortions. Nobody knew about it. They had a, a physical reaction. You know, they had to go to the hospital. They go to the emergency room. Nobody knows what happened. They're not willing to admit that they had an abortion, so the proper care can't be given. Kids have died. Kids have committed suicide in despair over the abortions that they got without their family ever knowing what was going on with them, why things were so bad for them. Well, Eric, part of the big abortion bill passed uh, last spring requires that health insurance policies cover abortions. So if you repeal parental notice, could... 14, 15-year-old girl have an abortion without their parents' knowledge, and then the parents get the bill for the abortion. This has happened. I met a woman at one of our National Day of Remembrance for Aborted Children prayer services. She came up to me after the event. She was in tears. She had found out that her daughter had an abortion, and she found out because an insurance bill arrived at their house. She had no idea. The daughter didn't know the bill was going to show up. And so they had this conversation, what's this bill for? And she found out about the abortion. She was devastated. This, this woman was devastated because this was her first grandchild. Uh, we're going to see that story played out if we get this combination of teens keeping the abortion from their parents, but the parents footing the bill through their insurance policies. It's going to be, there's going to be a lot of, of really sad stories if, if, this, uh, if this bill, if this, we don't have a bill yet, but if this proposal that we know they're fighting for, um, that's one of their top priorities for 2020, if it's allowed to happen, we've got to stop it. Eric is a vote for repeal of parental notice, ultimately a vote for sex traffickers. That's an important uh, question that you ask. And I think we need to, maybe we need to step back one step on this because they are not going to simply try to repeal this act completely. What they're going to try to do is to expand it. They want to expand the category of who a minor can tell about the abortion. Right now, they're required to tell a parent or, you know, a, a parent who's, you know, an adult in their family who's responsible for them if, for whatever reason, they can't do that. Say they're in an abusive situation or a parent has abandoned them or something like that. They can go to a judge and they can get a, a judge's permission they're basically, they're informing the judge. The judge stands in the place of the parent and says, okay, you can get the abortion. Now, granted, none of us wants to see anyone give permission for abortion ever because every unborn child has an uncalculable value. It's not ever good for a woman, young, old, whatever, to be getting an abortion. With that all understood, 
the current law allows this sort of bypass through a judge, and the judge gives permission for the abortion. What they want to do is expand that category of who can be informed to include like a religious minister, any religious minister. In other words, Planned Parenthood can have you know, a pro-abortion clergyman on speed dial. A minor girl comes in for an abortion. She calls up this minister she's never met. She doesn't even know what town he's in, informs him of the abortion in some perfunctory way, and then he gives the go-ahead, and they do the abortion. So it looks like I mean, they're going to pretend that this is simply offering more opportunity, more conversations, more information, when in fact it's opening the door to Planned Parenthood having their own clergy, their own, you know, sort of turn cool clergy, who've turned their back on the gospel, who've turned their back on, on the Judeo-Christian value of, of life, and will give the thumbs up for, for the abortion um, so that the parents never, never find out about it. So it's going to be very craftily done. It's not going to be, most likely, not going to be a simple repeal. It's going to be replacing the law with a, a law that allows them to keep those girls coming in and keep making that money. Now, included in that clientele from whom they're making so much money on abortion are going to be the sex traffickers. We know that when a minor girl gets an abortion, there's a high probability that she was impregnated by an adult male, right? We know that very often the age difference is very large. I mean, we see this. We see it at the abortion facilities. Girls who can't be older than 13 or 14 showing up with men who are clearly in their 20s, 30s, even 40s, okay? So there's sexual abuse of some kind going on. Statutory rape is common in these early, you know, minor abortions. We hear the stories uh, over and over again. When Ulrich Klopfer and his hoarded piles of, of thousands of fetal remains were discovered, women came forward to tell stories of the horrible abortions they'd had with him, the uncle who'd abused the, the, the kid whose parents pulled her off to get the abortion and then never spoke of it again, and the uncle went on to abuse other family members and so forth. Even more scary, though, is this issue of the, the sex trafficking. We know from undercover videos that have been done, we know from testimony we've received from people who've gotten out of sex trafficking, you know, women who've been saved from it, we know that abortion is essential to what they do. You know, it, it's a horror to talk about. But when, when, you're, when you're essentially enslaving young girls, you know, into, into sex, sexual slavery, they're going to get pregnant. And your entire criminal operation now is threatened by that pregnancy. So you force them into abortion. Forced abortion for sex trafficking is common. It's, it's part of the story of every woman who's come out of that horrific, horrific life, you know, that horrific... Uh, destruction of their dignity, uh, of the objectivizing of, of, of our women and girls. That, I think, has to be a key part of our message, too, you know, to emphasize that you are enabling the worst, worst predators possible. I mean, Jeffrey Epstein doesn't even come into it, how ugly the sex trafficking world is. Uh, we, we can't, we cannot allow Illinois to become a haven for the aborting of women who have been sexually enslaved. Wow. Think about that. Sex trafficking, parental notice. In California, Eric, Planned Parenthood is now in public high schools, I think something like 50 public high schools. If Illinois lawmakers decide to water down Illinois' parental notice law, could we see Planned Parenthood in public schools here in Illinois? Well, we already are seeing Planned Parenthood in the schools to some extent. You know, Planned Parenthood has sex ed programs. They have consulting that they do with school districts. They are involved in some of the sex, the, the development of the sexual education materials that are used in those programs, and particularly some of the new materials that are being implemented towards very young children having to do with the whole transgender issue and, you know, sexual identity and all these kinds of things. Planned Parenthood has gone 
all in on the transgender movement. You know, they are now talking about they don't provide abortions for women, they provide abortions for pregnant people or people with uteruses. I mean, the language that they're using is, is becoming more and more detached from reality and therefore from common sense, and that, that may end up being a good thing for us because we're going to still speak English, the language most people recognize. We're going to talk about pregnant women. We're going to talk about girls and boys. So there may be an opportunity for us as the left gets crazier and crazier. If we're the ones that are still speaking English, I think we'll be able to communicate with people better. But you're absolutely right. There's a, a definite danger of Planned Parenthood becoming even more involved with our schools. A program like we're seeing in California where actual health clinics are being set up in schools is horrifying to consider. Health clinics, that's the word. Well, yeah, that's what they call them. You're not going to go to the Planned Parenthood health clinic for a headache. We're going to, you know, but you don't go to Planned Parenthood for backache. You don't go to Planned Parenthood for depression. You don't go to Planned Parenthood for the common cold or any of the most common you know, health issues that we all actually experience, you only go to Planned Parenthood for STD testing, contraceptives, and abortion. That's what they're for. We can only hope that this misguided experiment that the state of California is now moving forward with will yield clear results showing that this is a bad idea. When the data comes through, we're going to see more problems. We're going to see more unintended pregnancy. We're going to see more STDs. We're going to see um, more cases of parents and children being driven apart from each other, we'll see a failure. I'm sure we will. And, and my only hope is that the data will be available to us, that it will be honestly interpreted, and that we can then learn from those mistakes and not make them in Illinois or other states across the country. Thank you so much. Eric Scheidler, the executive director of the Pro-Life Action League based here in Chicago, and the MC for the March for Life rally on Daly Plaza in Chicago this coming Saturday, January 11th. Eric, once again, encourage people to be there. It's just an incredible experience. I mean, I've been out there when it was, you know, 15 degrees, one of the coldest days of the, of the month, and still felt warm, you know, just felt this this sense. I was there only a couple months after hip surgery one time, and, and I forgot all about the, the bad leg, you know. Um, it's, it's a very bracing, very empowering kind of experience. And it's filled with grace. I mean, these are prayerful people. These are, these are church-going people. These are your people. You want to spend some time with them. And, uh, and just being a part of, of that group, it'll make you feel so much less isolated, plugged in, um, you know, and, then, and filled with a sense of hope. And that's, I think, what God wants from these kind of things. He wants us to get together. He wants us to feel that fellowship, that communion, and he wants us to be filled with hope. All right. Thank you so much. And please support the work of Illinois Family Institute. All donations tax deductible. If you'd like to uh, make a gift, you can call us at 708-781-9328 or just visit IllinoisFamily.org. Click Contribute. Tell a friend about Illinois Family Spotlight. And until next time, God bless. Thank you for listening to Illinois Family Spotlight. For more information, please visit us at ifiaction.org and look for us on Facebook and Twitter. If you would like to email us questions or comments, please do so at feedback at ifiaction.org. Until next time, stay engaged and keep your eyes on the prize.